This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by M. L. Cohen, Cleveland, Ohio, March 2007. The Consolation of Philosophy by Ancius Manlius Severinus Bothius. Translated by H. R. James. Book 5 Free Will and God's Foreknowledge. Section 4 A Psychological Fallacy. Then said she, This debate about providence is an old one, and is vigorously discussed by Cicero in his divination. Thou also hast long and earnestly pondered the problem, yet no one has had diligence and perseverance enough to find a solution. And the reason of this obscurity is that the movement of human reasoning cannot cope with the simplicity of the divine foreknowledge. For if a conception of its nature could in any wise be framed, no shadow of uncertainty would remain. With a view of making this at last clear and plain, I will begin by considering the arguments by which thou art swayed. First, I inquire into the reasons why thou art dissatisfied with the solution proposed, which is to the effect that, seeing the fact of foreknowledge is not thought the cause of necessity of future events, foreknowledge is not to be deemed any hindrance to the freedom of the will. Now, surely, the sole ground on which thou arguest the necessity of the future is that things which are foreknown cannot fail to come to pass. But if, as thou wert ready to acknowledge just now, the fact of foreknowledge imposes no necessity on things future, what reason is there for supposing the results of voluntary action constrained to a fixed issue? Suppose for the sake of argument, and to see what follows, we assume that there is no foreknowledge. Are willed actions, then, tied down to any necessity in this case? Certainly not. Let us assume foreknowledge again, but without its involving any actual necessity. The freedom of the will, I imagine, will remain in complete integrity. But thou wilt say that, even though all the foreknowledge is not the necessity of the future event's occurrence, yet it is a sign that will necessarily happen. Granted. But in this case it is plain that, even if there had been no foreknowledge, the issues would have been inevitably certain. For a sign only indicates something which is, does not bring to pass that of which it is the sign. We require to show beforehand that all things, without exception, happen of necessity, in order that a preconception must be a sign of this necessity. Otherwise, if there is no such universal necessity, neither can any preconception be a sign of a necessity which exists not. Manifestly, too, a proof exhibited on firm grounds of reason must be drawn not from signs and loose general arguments, but from suitable and necessary causes. But how can it be that things foreseen should ever fail to come to pass? Why, this is supposed us to believe that the events which Providence foresees to be coming were not about to happen, instead of our supposing that, although they should come to pass, yet there was no necessity involved in their own nature compelling their occurrence. Take an illustration that will help convey my meaning. There are many things which we see taking place before our eyes, the movements of charioteers, for instance, in guiding and turning their cars and so on. Now is any one of these movements compelled by any necessity? 
No, certainly not. There would be no efficacy and skill if all motions took place perforce. Then, things which in taking place are free from any necessity as to their being in the present must also, before they take place, be about to happen without necessity. Wherefore there are things which will come to pass, the occurrence of which is perfectly free from necessity. At all events, I imagine that no one will deny that things now taking place were about to come to pass before they were actually happening. Such things, however much foreknown, are in their occurrence free. For even as knowledge of things present imports no necessity into things that are taking place, so foreknowledge of the future imports none into things that are about to come. But this, thou wilt say, is the very point in dispute whether any foreknowing is possible of things whose occurrence is not necessary. For here there seems to be a contradiction, and, if they are foreseen, their necessity follows, where if, if there is no necessity, they can by no means be foreknown. And thou thinkest that nothing can be grasped as known unless it is certain, but if things whose occurrence is uncertain are foreknown as certain, this is the very mist of opinion, not the truth of knowledge. For to think of things otherwise than they are, thou believest to be incompatible with the soundness of knowledge. Now the cause of the mistake is this, that men think that all knowledge is cognized purely by the nature and efficacy of the thing known. Whereas the case is the very reverse, all that is known is grasped not conformably to its own efficacy, but rather conformably to the faculty of the knower. An example will make this clear. The roundness of a body is recognized in one way by sight, in another by touch. Sight looks upon it from a distance as a whole by a simultaneous reflection of rays. Touch grasps the roundness piecemeal, by contact and attachment to the surface, and by actual movement round the periphery itself. Man himself, likewise, is viewed in one way by sense, in another by imagination, in another way again by thought, in another by pure intelligence. Sense judges figure clothed in material substance. Imagination figure alone without matter. Thought transcends this again, and by its contemplation of universals considers the type itself which is contained in the individual. The eye of intelligence is yet more exalted, for overpassing the sphere of the universal it will behold absolute form itself by the pure force of the mind's vision. Wherein the main point to be considered is this, the higher faculty of comprehension embraces the lower, while the lower cannot rise to the higher. For sense has no efficacy beyond matter, nor can imagination behold universal ideas, nor thought embrace pure form, but intelligence, looking down as it were from its higher standpoint and its intuition of form, discriminates also the several elements which underlie it but it comprehends them in the same way as it comprehends that form itself, which could be cognized by no other than itself. For it cognizes the universal of thought, the figure of imagination, and the matter of sense, without employing thought, imagination, or sense, but surveying all things, so to speak, under the aspect of pure form by a single flash of intuition. Thought also, in considering the universal, embraces images and sense impressions without resorting to imagination or sense. For it is thought which has thus defined the universal from its conceptual point of view. Man is a two-legged animal endowed with reason. 
This is indeed a universal notion, yet no one is ignorant that the thing is imaginable and presentable to sense, because thought considers it not by imagination or sense, but by means of rational conception. Imagination, too, through its faculty of viewing and forming representations, is founded upon the senses, nevertheless surveys sense impressions without calling in sense, not in the way of sense perception, but of imagination. Seest thou then how all things in cognizing use rather their own faculty than the faculty of the things which they cognize? Nor is this strange, for since every judgment is the act of the judge, it is necessary that each should accomplish its task by its own, not by another's power. Song 4 A Psychological Fallacy From the porch's murky depths comes a doctrine sage, that doth liken living mind to a written page. Since all knowledge comes through sense, graven by experience, as, say they, the pen it marks curiously doth trace, on the smooth unsullied white of the paper's face, so do outer things impress images on consciousness. But if verily the mind thus all passive lies, if no living power within its own force supplies, if it but reflect again like a glass things false and vain, whence thy wondrous faculty that perceives and knows that in one fair ordered scheme doth the world dispose, grasp each whole that sense presents or break into elements, so divides and recombines, and in changeful wise now to low descends and now to the heights doth rise. Last in inward swift review, strictly sifts the false and true. Of these ample potencies, fitter cause, I ween, were mind's self than marks impressed by the outer scene. Yet the body through the sense stirs the soul's intelligence. When light flashes on the eye, or sound strikes the ear, mind aroused to due response makes the message clear, and the dumb external signs with the hidden form combines. End of Book 5, Free Will and God's Foreknowledge, Section 4, A Psychological Fallacy.